Hello and welcome to the Men on Mission podcast. Today's guest, Brody Klotz in the house. Brother. How are you, brother? Good, man. It's um, We got to meet at a gathering of men and we, we did connect there just briefly, but your story and who you are and your energy really captivated me and then you were like, you got a show, let me on it. I'm like, 100%, please come on. So it's the new year now, we're back to it and uh, it's great to have you here, man. Mm. Thank you so much. And it was so cool meeting you. And I was just chatting before, like I've seen so much of your Facebook stories and Instagram stories and I'm like archetypes, men's work. And then hearing what you've been through um, briefly, I was like, yeah, I couldn't wait to meet you and saw you in Gathering of Men and just getting to share. And we both love men's work. So this is going to be so much fun. Yeah, man. It's awesome. So easy one then is like, what, what got you into men's work? What was the start for you? Mm. So... I remember I had my mentor at the time and she was like, we're going through a lot of timeline therapy and we're going through a lot of just things coming up with my dad. And I was really scared of violence. There was like this one men's retreat, I think held by the brotherhood. And they were like, Oh, we're going to do some boxing or, and I was like, no, no. And, uh, re my mentor at the time, she's like, go to men's group at Narang seven o'clock. Um, the person that uh, was looked like my dad with tattoos was Danny, <laughs> and the uh, funny enough, I told you, I've told this story on um, Prac when we had the funeral to say goodbye to Danny to Bali. It sounded like a funeral. Everyone saying congratulations, goodbye. Yeah. Um, and yeah, the, the deep work that I did was when my mentor was like, you know, I'm out of integrity. I'm I'm, I'm struggling with X Y Z. So. And about two years ago, I went to the men's group, really wanted to figure out like why I did what I did with my dad, why he was and making sure that I don't follow that same path as much as um, he did out of love, really. So about yeah. two years ago, I started the, uh, the Mankind Project, just coming consistently, getting the support. And that was probably the first time that I've been held accountable with men. Yeah. And in the with love with love yeah without a like a challenge right yeah mm. and that what was that like for you what did that what did that create for your life it creates certainty and clarity mm. because being held accountable and not aggressive which is out of love it was like wow men can hold space for you men can love you and if you are out of integrity we go deeper it's not like oh fuck you mate you know like your shit, you're written off. Yeah. It's like, no, 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 why? Let's mm. get curious about it. Let's hold you to it, but also let's let's make difference. Let's make a change, mm. you know? Sat in that circle for nearly two years. I love that that group. It's a powerful group. So then you would have got initiated at some point potentially. Did you go and do the... Did you go up the mountain? I did go up the mountain. Yeah, <laughs> boy. When were you initiated? July last year. Oh, awesome, man. Mm. July 2022. I was March, Kunjawara March 2018 mm. for me. Loved it. Absolutely like pivotal point in my life. You know, as the listeners know, Rites of Passage is very dear to my heart mm. and that work and not only doing something so deep like that, but also the follow-up being able to be a part of something every week and what that creates, I think is just super powerful, super powerful. So yeah. And so you started sitting in group, got initiated 
did you was it a period of time of group first and then doing the initiation because the way i started was i actually just went to the weekend and didn't even know there was a circle every week and so i saw men that were actually a part of the group that hadn't even been to the mountain i was like what so how was that for you yeah brother i was going for about three to five months Mm. and then i was like yeah i want to know what this is about and it's kind of similar to gathering a men like i had a little bit of inside of like when you've done one retreat you kind of you don't want to expect but then you're thinking i'm like is this going to be this one is this going to be this bit so it's all men's work and it's all beautiful so for me yeah it was consistently for about six months and they were like yep this is the next call and same experience that i had was being i had to like in my point of life in july i still remember what was happening in my life and then rocking up to that i remember them saying like will you be okay with us calling you forward if you're not playing full out and i've been playing full out ever since like Mm. just in life so Mm. (sighs) i have fond memories man i just it's taken me back Mm. and and for me what was so profound was that the actual second training what people might not know with the mkp mankind project is you get you you pay for your your initiation and you go and do your your three days and then you have access to i group but there's also the pit training after mm. and i just found pit training because i was already open and saw it already primed for it stepping into that two-day container a couple of months after or a couple of weeks after was just super powerful like we got to work straight away, it felt like. It felt like a week when I was at the pit training. So how was pit for you? Yeah, it was actually, it was, I found it more transformational um, than the training. Even though the training was so great up the mountain, I went to, I remember the first lunch break, I wanted to drive away. And I sat in circle when I came back and I said, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here in life. And then... I remember Brooke was next to me, sitting next to me, and then a few other brothers were like, okay, let's look into this. And they didn't do a process on me. I just literally cried for a good 20 minutes and then looked around all these men and said, you're home. And the rest is history. The, the All the different processes. Um, I think the funniest thing, when we were doing a process, those people walking the dog near the park oh. and we were doing... Um, Oh, you don't bucket? need to name. You don't oh, need yeah. to name it, but yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, we had a similar thing where it's just like it was like, okay. "Are you okay?" Yeah. And we've had that the last few weeks. People come and into the eye group because a man's yelling, doing work, and they were like, "Oh, I need this work too." So it's it's real cool, right? Mm, I love that. Uh, I remember one of the pit trainings. I think the police got called. Because we were doing a process with that similar process, and um, and there was also a, a process with a with a um, like a weapon mm. that got that was like symbolic. It's very symbolic what happens, right? Mm. And but you know, people are walking their dog out of the corner of icy bunch of men, and they've got weapons, and <laughs> it's like, oh no, call the cops, you know? <laughs> oh. And work. <laughs> yeah, it's it's an interesting one. And like how society deems what men's work is. Like I think there's so much collective fear around the patriarchy and, and the oppression of men and that secret men's business and what's actually happening here. And, you know, is it just everyone turning into Andrew Tate or something like that? And it's just like, 
no, not really. It's just like it's a whole bunch of guys is trying to work it out. Like, essentially, for me, it's I lived with my dad for a couple of years, but I didn't have my dad as a prevalent person in my life. I was lived with him from twelve to sixteen, and so very formative years. I'm so glad I was with my dad at that in those moments of my life. But at the same time, it's like really having healthy male role models around. It's like they're few and far between because often at workplaces, it's we've got to like our boss or we have to appease our boss somehow or get along. But sometimes the character of them isn't great. So it's like, what do we do? And, you know, this day and age with teachers, it's maybe one in 10 teachers are male if we're lucky. I know a fair few kids that go through... Um, perfect case here locally in Burley Heads that when my son went through primary school the only male faculty member was the principal every single other teacher was female and so it's like the young boys where are they where are they learning from men where are they getting the sense of like what a man is and how does a man conduct himself and all these small traits that lead to us having like a connection with elder men to to guide us the way to show us the way you know so yeah i thought i'm so grateful man i'm so grateful men's work and so mkp starting to get into men's work not wanting to recreate patterns with your dad it was it like traits of his the way that he was yeah so for me i remember um i was going through this stage of like going from job to job and then i'm like where is this me in this there's got to be something it's not just the boss we're talking about yeah and then i was going through relationships after relationships and then as soon as we got close i brought it i like pulled the pin before i could get hurt and then like mind you steph and i've coming up to eight years in may this year and congratulations brother thank you man and four years married in august and before that it was like the commitment piece of the abandonment was like maybe six months. And then as soon as they're like, oh, let's move in or let's do something. Let's get a little bit serious. Let's share bank account. I just run. And I'm like, there was this people pleasing and abandonment that I had to work on. And I know it's still, it never leaves us. Even though we heal through it, it's still a part of us. Mm. And that's what I've really learned because... In the past, it was like, okay, I'm healed now. I'm never going to be like this person. But I think you're going to be more like that person if you don't want to be that person. And that's what I found out. Yeah, it's like the shadow work to really is actually embody that part of us. Mm-hmm. Is what I've come to realize. Like I had few, huge fear in myself. I had an experience when I was very young with a man who was a perpetrator, right? Mm-hmm. And so subconsciously for me, there's a part of me that knows I can be like that. But I spent my whole life consciously trying not to be like that. And so realizing for me, it's like the deep work, the shadow work for me was actually like in a conscious way playing out a perpetrator role with my partner, you know, or doing something that's a little bit taboo or a little bit risque or whatever it was. So I can actually embody the guilt and shame inside of it so I can transmute it. It's just like, oh, I am like that. I can be like that but it doesn't mean that I'm going to do harm with it. It's just know that it's possible. Like what we know when we think about it with men's work, it's like to know that we can kill, you know? Like if I needed to hunt to survive, I would have to kill an animal to eat it. So 
I know there's a part of me biologically in me that is primed for killing, you know? And the more I deny that, the more it's like kinky taboo that I might want to do it, right? But if I just own it, then it becomes embodied. Like that is the pure embodiment, right? And so for you, obviously you're doing this work around it. What was, to me, it's like parents model model things to us. So not wanting to repeat the habit. What was it like growing up? Where did you grow up? What What's the story? Yeah, so I've actually kind of rewrite that story a little bit now because in the past it was constantly going, I had a bad childhood. Um, even though my parents did divorce, we'll talk into that. And now that I have a house and I've got a job and I've got these responsibilities, I'm like, hang on, mum and dad were doing the best they can with the resources that they had. 100%. And it came probably two, three years ago. I'm like, I'm going to own my shit now. I'm actually going to take full responsibility for my life. And... For me, growing up, I went to a private school in Brisbane, um, great school, Morris College Ashgrove, grade 5, 2011. Um, Dad walked out on, I think, New Year's Eve, 2009. I remember it because I went uh, to my girlfriend's house at the time. And, yeah, played tennis really competitively, enjoyed it. Um, Went to the movies anytime I want, Suncorp Stadium memberships. Like, it was just fun. Like, life was great. Great food, great holidays, like being to Fiji, New Zealand, Hawaii, America. And like, brother, I, I feel like even sharing my story lately, it's like some people don't know that I actually had some form of good childhood as well. Like the ego is like, let's, let's talk about this. Let's talk about how bad our life is because we get like secondary gain out of it. And that's what happened to me anyway, owning my stuff. Hmm. And I saw mum working really hard. And I saw dad always traveling, always having jobs, always having constant, um, yeah, like he was there for my sport events, but he wasn't present with the stuff that I really needed, what I'm getting now. Yeah. Um, mind you, he's been such a pivotal mo- role model in my life now to uh, speak about uh, childhood sexual abuse. So when he was abused as a kid, he didn't tell anyone for 20 years. So he was part of the Royal Commission. He went to court. My dad was violent and I knew something was wrong. I said to mum, like, why is he like this? Like, he's not normally like this. When he's going through that uh, trivial, uh, really stressful, traumatic things, I saw someone that didn't uh, talk about his feelings. Mm. And when he did open up to his family and his and his friends at the time, he called gay. You're a poofter. I don't believe you. So that's his story. But also the reason why I share this is because he's my father. He created me and so did my mum. And I found that I saw all priests of pedophiles. I had those beliefs early on, um, which I don't believe that anymore. Like I went to Christians, a school, I went to church. I was actually going to Net Ministry Australia. They go around Australia talking about the good news of Jesus and God and all that. And it plays a part in my life and I still enjoy the concepts of the Bible because it's quite... um, Epic storytelling. Exactly. And like, that's how we learn and, and mm. share the story. Like the storytellers share the tales of, you know, times ago and mm. times forgotten. It's how we, it's how we learn is through story. It's not through, you know, what school tries to teach us now, which is like repetitive learning. It's, mm. yeah, we learn in an embodied way through story, through the feeling, through the felt sense. So yeah, get you on that one. Mm. I agree. And I fucking love reading. So I've definitely flipped through those pages. Yeah, and 
so when mum and dad, you know, we had good houses. I remember beautiful homes in Kenmore, beautiful homes in Ashgrove, playing by the pool. I've got three brothers. Um, one's predominantly in the US, the other one's now in Bundaberg and the other one's in Brisbane. So I've got oldest brother, not so old, young and, oh, sorry, there's me in the middle and then Ethan. So it's interesting because I'm having this conversation now with the, my brothers and what they went through when my parents divorced and there was you know the suicides that my dad tried to take his life many times and he's quite ill right now um has been for a while and i'm just asking them like how are they coping because now that i you know went to the counseling psychology men's work getting mentors sharing my story in podcasts i'm like damon went to overseas and started up his company and interviewed people like simon sinek gary v's hr manager like incredible thought leaders right um started up soften the f up corporation um my brother's soon to be psychologist my other brother's an actor i'm you know i don't know what i am now like i had this question yesterday they were like <laughs> who are you i'm like oh fuck i'm brody and i changed my job every two years so let's chat then yeah exactly oh man the the, the time of like being a something for your whole life that's so long ago you know if the world is infinitely expanding and infinitely getting more complex our careers are five years these days to be honest usually we, we change every five years where it used to be 30 but it's just like the pace in which we can learn it's like even uni by the time you finish the degree is it even relevant like in all aspects you know the way that technology and information is being passed and learnt, even this conversation you know it's just podcasting and all of it it's a real it's a real different format man i'm really curious how this this whole game or this whole world is shifting and how you know what we offer in business and everything is just trickling along at a rapid rate you know i feel like we're all just trying to hang on for dear life you know a lot of the time so i'm with you on that man it's just like what i thought i was going to be five years ago it's not who i am now and that that's going to change again. So, you know, live the moment. Yeah. yeah. So, with school and growing up then, parents split. You with mum? Dad Pre left? Yeah, so spent most of the time with mum. Dad was going through stages of, like, homelessness, um, moving to Tasmania with his family, um, and... It was really shocking because he was staying in a park in Ashgrove and he only told me this a few years back and I was living in, you know, a really nice home in Ashgrove and he was, you know, buying me Powerades and sausage rolls and little to I know didn't have a shower or people still in his thongs, had no clothes and this was someone that had six figures and CEOs of multiple companies going to Gabba boxes, like AFL matches and those active whiteboards, he was traveling the world selling them and it really woke me up, brother, that you can have highs, highs, and then you can go to lows, lows. And uh, mum was like, and I, I can love mum in this, and I really can. And she's like, don't share this on the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, many times she watches it, and she's just like, oh, I'm not watching them anymore. I'm like, okay, mum, I love you. And our poor parents, man, they take <laughs> it so personally. Hey, and it's just like we've all got a story. We could be the best, you know, we could have the best upbringing and we would still find something to like say what our rock bottom is because everyone's got one. Everyone's got the rock bottom that made their life, you know, the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you is the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to you. It's just that simple. It's like, hey, mum, 
I love you, my dad. I love you. Don't take it personally. I love you. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, man. So, yeah, I spent most time with my mom and then we had fortnights. So, I'd go to dad's house and then um, back to back to mum's. And it was he interesting. was living in a park. Did he ever tell you more about that? Did you say he was yeah. living in a park? Yeah, a park bench near um, Gap in the Gap Ashgrove area. And they would come to the footy match like nothing ever happened. You just dress up and yep. act like it was all good. Have Did showers. you have a car? Uh, Maybe. I, I reckon it's just a cool conversation. Like if my dad was homeless for a period of time, I'd want to know all about that because it's something that I've always wanted to do is just like disappear for a month and just live in Burley Heads, you know, like in the headland or something. Just I'll look live out off, for you. Yeah, man. <laughs> live off scrub turkeys and sleep in my hammock for a month, you know. And so, yeah, I did talk a little bit about it and he was like, he get, and this is this is interesting piece as well. Like what's coming to me in my conscious thoughts is like he gave so much. He gave so much of um, his life, and he gave his last dollars to his sons. And he had this this masculine thing, right? We talk about men's work. We're like, I've got to be the provider, and I'm not going to tell anyone I'm suffering. And this is what I've learned not to do: is actually ask for help and ask for things. So for him, he was yeah, he was homeless and. He went through like, you know, he does um, not TED Talks, but he's been an ABC and SBS sharing his story and uh, he's made me the man that I am today and so is my mom and everyone that's impacted my life. Um, and just realising that that's just part of one part of his story. And now, you know, he got money from the church, um, so he should have, for what's, you know, impacted his life and now he lives yeah. in Bundaberg. And funny enough, I lived in Bundaberg when I was going through some stuff with mum and his uh, ex-stepdad. And dad was, you know, dying. The doctors gave him some time. And I literally found my life there. I found my job there. I found my now wife there. I did all the work that I share in my podcast about community services, lifeline, domestic violence, sexual assault trainings I've done. Brother, I'm so grateful for Bundaberg. So seeing dad on the streets to where he is now it's just like where i was three years ago in a mental health hospital fighting for my life really scared to sleep in a bed with one eye open because someone's stealing my undies and wanted to take medication off me it's it's just it's just part of my life and the more i actually accept it the more it can just be normalized and that's what i like doing um and sharing yeah it's and even that story like that is even a jump so i'm I want to know what happened between that those early years, two thousand and nine, eleven, that sort of time, to to getting to Bundaberg. So, yep. what what eventuated with high school? What sort of happened there? What was it like when you first left? Did you stay in Brisbane until you finished school? What was sort of what happened? Yeah, so I left Brisbane in twenty twelve. I went to Emeralds, and Mum and Dad were still sorting out the custody things of the house and all the things. And then I went to some family home. They looked after me for two months. And I think that that's actually a really pivotal piece in my life that sometimes I forget. I stayed in a random stranger's home. They were very Christian base. They knew of the school of Myers College Emerald. I knew nobody. I left my uni preferences, the girlfriend at the time. Like I went to Maris from grade five to 2011, like in the sports team, in the schoolies room ready to be booked. I'm like, do not 
fucking unbook me. I'm, I'm there, brothers, you know? Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I packed up everything. I went from, I had to Google Emerald, to be honest. Like, I didn't know where Emerald was. Coming from Brisbane to Emerald, to a co-ed school, actually, mind you. That's a uh, pivotal piece, I forget. So, went to a boys' school, grade 5, 2011, and then co-ed school. Just for maybe t- 10 months left and mum and... In grade, which grade was that? Grade, grade 12, 12, 12, yeah, yeah finish yeah. off in Emerald. Yeah. So, very beautiful people. Uh, it's when I found the relationship with God and uh, going to church and going to like... It's like Ben's group, but with a guitar and talking about Jesus. So, I I did that <laughs> stuff and now I did my men's work. <laughs> oh, that's very classic, man. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's... I reflect on it and I'm grateful for it because... Yeah, mum was doing the best she can and she came probably four months after and then mum and dad or mum and the stepdad found a place and then I stayed in Emerald for about two years. Mm-hmm. So I left Emerald in 2014 to go to Bundaberg. Yeah, right. And so did you go to, like, who did you go to Bundaberg with? Was it something that you just went on your own? You're like, I'm just going to go and just make something of it? Yeah, it was just me. Yeah, um, sweet. I s- still remember dad. How old? I'd be 20. Yeah, sick. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, 19 actually because I met Steph 2015. Yeah, i got to remember that. i got a bracelet. I'm not even kidding. I'm not wearing it now. It's when we first met. It's forever and always, 8th of the 5th, 2015. So I'm like, that's such a good thing to wear it in podcasts if people ask that question. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so Emerald, yep. Bundy making something of it like what did you go for what was the what was the inspiration what was the did you just feel like emeralds obviously like not a forever place yeah for me i was i remember working full-time in the deli um i had an opportunity to do the royal australian navy so i went down to townsville for the applications i was the best dressed but then when they did the psychological test i was not the best uh, outcome <laughs> It's a bit of a laugh. It's still part of my story, right? Uh, so I just wanted more. So I was going through relationships. I had a girlfriend at the time, probably my first real girlfriend, really. Mm. Um, and I was a bit cut up after a year and a half. She didn't take me to formal. Formal oh, such a trigger word. Man, man. <laughs> I remember mine. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I just, uh, dad, like my stepdad was um, quite rude and quite abrupt to my dad. And it was always try to, put his values and beliefs in um, of what was going on. And I knew mum was struggling mentally. I just didn't know what that was. And that was still, she was still in Emerald when you left to go to Bundy? Is that what you mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So she stayed for a bit and then they split up and mum moved to Brisbane. And I ended up moving to Brisbane after Bundaberg and then Gold Coast and all the things. It's just, it's been such a, and this is what's so important to share because I know for me, I don't celebrate or reflect on where I've come from and I'm always wanting more, being more. So I think just listening and speaking to you out loud, brother, is like, well, I, I might take this on my own and actually reflect on the past, you know, eight years because so much change, so many moves, so many jobs. Yeah, and that's like, it shapes who we are. And it's just like by being that curious person as far as like moving's big. Like I remember just how big it was for me when I was 16 to move from my little country town all the way up to the big smoke of Brisbane to finish high school. Like I went to Cooparoo Secondary College in 2001, 2002, which is grade 11 and 12 for me. And just, I knew that I had to go to a city 
because I wanted the opportunity. Like growing up in a small town of a thousand people, I couldn't even study a cert three and four in fitness down there. It wasn't even an option. So to to be in a country town that you can't even study what you want to do, it's like you can't stay. This is why I always ask people when they move from towns, it's like, did you grow out of it? Like, is there a sense of like needing something bigger or something more or something different or a new opportunity? And um, yeah, to go to Brisbane and, and be there. But then even just the move from Brisbane after 10 years of being there to just the Gold Coast an hour away felt so big. So, you know, to be 20 and pack up from Emerald and go, you know, even if you only were there for two years or whatever it was, to still move to a city and then move to another city, it's just like the big changes, you know, and it's all like meeting new people and being in a new environment and the stress that that is. Did you, you so you didn't really move around quite a lot at all. You sort of stayed when you were in Brisbane and growing up, it was the same school and it was pretty pretty stand like not standard but like not a lot of moving around yeah no that's right i pretty much yeah we stayed maybe moved two houses yeah in that but yeah brisbane was was home for such a long time and it was really tough to leave to be honest i didn't i definitely didn't outgrow it because i actually went back to brisbane after moving from emerald um to bundaberg and then back to brisbane because i was like i they took me away from that place how fucking dare you i'm moving back and then i'm like brisbane's got shit energy I'm out. Uh, and then now I moved to the Gold Coast. So sorry if people live in Brisbane. Um, oh, man. My oh, listeners sorry. know how I feel about Brisbane. I did <laughs> 10 years there and I'm well and truly done. Like, it was just always the feeling. And now I'm spending a lot of time on the Sunshine Coast and it's the same feeling of driving towards Brisbane to go home after being at either of the coasts, Gold Coast or the Sunshine Coast. It always felt like I was going the wrong way. And... Uh, yeah, I had to listen to that energy, you know, and when my son Balin turned five and we were going to decide which school he was going to go to, it was like, if we don't move now, we're going to end up staying in Brisbane, you know, and I was just like, uh-uh, I want to be close to the beach, like I got to get back to the beach and um, I am so glad that we did and the Gold Coast, I've been here for nearly 12 years now and I love it, but I just love the water, it's got to be close so, what did you find about the Gold Coast? What sort of allured you and drew you in? What was it for you? <sighs> Just remembering why I came was like when I was in network marketing. I was with Juice Plus. Oh, yeah. Um, so, all the bibs and bubs, my, my little brother calls it. Um, are you in the bibs and bubs? So, it's like <laughs> the good chat he throws. Um, they're all in the Gold Coast and I'm like, everyone's got this laptop lifestyle. Everyone earning money and you know, working a few days a week. I'm like, I want that. Yeah. And then I got here. I'm like, ah, that's uh, a lot of hard work. <laughs> it is. Um, I actually, funny enough, I did social work and then I found out I was social, but you had to do the work. So for me, nah, man, I, I went one year in and I was like, oh, I'm happy with my diplomas. And now I've done seven years and I'm out. So for me, Gold Coast was the beach. Same with me. Um, the beach just makes me calm and just going in there and just whatever is, is going on for me, it just goes under or I do it like a, a primal a scream. I've been doing that lately. Just going under the water, just going, ah. So that's been really fun. And funny enough now, I live in the mountain with my beautiful wife and we got access to the beautiful uh, waterfalls and all the tracks. So Gold Coast is just beautiful. It's got energy. It's got so much, I think, 
I know for me where I've lived and all the places I've lived, Gold Coast is very spiritually connected. I think so too, eh? It's it's one of those, it's condensed, that's for sure. After spending time now on the Sunshine Coast and realizing that everywhere is half an hour, um, I do appreciate the Gold Coast for being so condensed in this way. But at the same time, mountains, waterfalls, nature, you know, the bush, the beach, you know, Byron's an hour away, Brisbane's an hour away. To me, it's always been this nice balance between spiritual but also business. Biz- like Brisbane feels like all business and not much spiritual. And then Byron is way too woo for me. Like, you know, there's only so many butt plugs you can put in at one time. So for me, it's like I've got to have this balance in between this area. And I wonder too then if that's a bit like the Sunshine Coast. I get a sense of Sunshine Coast being a little bit more maybe like Byron. But I feel like it has pockets of business in it as well. So I'm just I'm I'm curious about the world at the moment and what's possible, you know. So yours is stay on the coast. Is that tambourine that you mean by the mountain? Uh Lower Beachmont. So oh, yeah. awesome. The universe gave us some really big things when we bought the house in October last year. Um been there for a year, so I'm so out of it. So was it maybe we bought in twenty twenty one. Maybe we did. Maybe. It's twenty twenty three now. So would have been over a year. You probably didn't buy it a couple of months ago. Yep, my math's never strong point. Uh, <laughs> 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 that's yep, that's that's right. I could talk about what I did maths in English because that's a bit of a laugh. Um, but no, so yeah, for me, it's it's home for me. And when I say the universe tested me, we had the roads fall off the mountain, like the whole access. Uh, Boat is at Narang. It's still happening, so it closes from eight thirty to two thirty. So it k- kicks me into gear to get up, so the road doesn't close on me and I have to go to Canungra way so just from geographical sense uh Narang is 15 minutes yeah and I would have to travel an hour from my house to get to Narang if I miss the road um time slot so I'm grateful that they're working on it very quickly because Springbrook's going to be probably another two years yeah I know every time I forget because I ride a motorbike right and so I chuck Charlotte on the back go for a ride and then I'm like that's right it's shut and I've done it twice and I'm just like I've got to stop doing that Really have to stop doing that, but I fucking love it. So we end up going all the way around the back through Hins Dam and up the spine, up the back to get to to Springbrook that way, which is out of control, long way around. So, but where you are is beautiful. Lower Beachmont is beautiful. I mean, all of that part of the Gold Coast is amazing. So, hmm. study then. So. Did a little bit of study in Emerald before you went to Bundy or you just went straight to Bundy and then studied? Like, where did you do majority of, like, after school education? Yeah, Bundaberg was where I studied. So, I finished year 12 in Emerald and then I didn't study anything in Emerald for two years. I was just enjoying the Emerald nightlife of dragging in a RAV4. Um, (laughs) The local police going, look, I don't want you dying in this area. Can you die on the other street? That's what he said. I'm like, ah. I wanted to be like you. Um, funny enough, that main cop was actually the girl that I um, might have, might have not took on a second date. Maybe that's why he's a little bit angry. So I found that out. That was funny. Uh, and just, yeah, hanging out with sleeping, drinking, working at Woolies. It was it, like, honestly, thinking about it now, like those are the good times. Oh, yeah, man. Those are the good times I actually don't reflect on too much. It's like now I'm grateful for my wife. I'm grateful for the mortgage. I'm grateful for all the business adventures and men's connections that I get to do and I love it. 
But if I didn't go through that, I wouldn't have gone, oh, what if? What if? So I was, Emirates was a lot of fun. And then Bundaberg was when I decided that I wanted to help people because that's when I went to Bundaberg. Back to that question with yeah. dad, I saw my dad really ill and no one had capacity to pack up and support him. So I did. Yeah, right. And so he was in Emerald, is that what you mean? Or is he was somewhere else? He was living in Bundaberg. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, Bundy. So with that, when you started to study, what what was it? Like what what was your avenue in? What was the thing that you were like, I'm going to do this. This is going to be the thing, which we all do when we're young like that and go, this is it. <laughs> so I was working at Savence and High Food Stores. So I was working at an IGA. I remember working at Bunnings, I th- three jobs at the time, and then I saw those jobs fell through. I can't remember why. Um, and then Dad saw this thing, Cert 3 Community Services, and then you, I think it was like you get, get it for free or you do th- something, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then I met one of my best mates. He was actually part of my groomsman. He was part of that Yeah. in that, in that class. And, yeah, I, I haven't looked back since. I did placement at a, a refuge. A, a men's shelter. All right. So that was eye-opening. What was that like? Yeah. Seeing my dad being homeless, I saw more men and saw men's shelters. I saw more people talking about suicide and domestic violence. And I was like, whoa, like this is bigger than just my dad. Yeah, big time. When it becomes more like that, I think that's, to me, it's like the rites of passage that I'm looking for for most men is like, how do we become more a part of the community if we're not a little boy anymore and we're moving beyond our family barriers of like the support of our family and want to like venture off onto and make our own claim to the world where do we go how do we find it you know and being of service i think is always a great thing and looking towards that for men is like how can i be useful how can i be of service and and supporting other men but especially like men like those men that would be, you know, that get themselves to a refuge. And, you know, it's always been the case for me when I see someone that's homeless, say, or whatever it is, it's like, how did they get there? Like, there must be an epic story of, you know, I remember there was a guy in Brisbane um, near Tawong somewhere or Indrapilly. He was a homeless guy and he used to be like a millionaire. And then I think something happened and he basically lost his marbles, you know, and he doesn't actually know who he is, but he has no care. It's kind of like, I think everything kind of got swept out from underneath him and then kind of slipped through the cracks. And once you don't have a home, it's like, how do you get a job? You know, how do you, how do you get back into the system? You know, so I'm always curious about, you know, how these, how these men get there. You know, and I just wonder what that was like for you seeing that at a young age and because of your dad as well. It made me not want to be like that. It made me, so when dad had a mental health breakdown and checked him, checked him, uh, checked himself into mental health ward. Um, yeah, he was like, he lost his job. He lost his house. He lost, he lost everything. And that's when he felt the thoughts of suicide and, and tried to take his life, attempt to take his life. And for me, when I did have mental health breakdowns and checked myself into mental health ward and couldn't hold down a job, couldn't hold down a relationship, I was like, fuck, this is, what's going on? And now, like, because I continue to do 
finding out the self-development self-love of Brody and it took a whole radical responsibility to go like the work that I've done now and this is just so important to say is like I can now have a really good conversation with my dad and tell him I love him and I'm here for him and even sometimes I catch him when he's like oh I just don't want to speak to you guys because I feel really down and I'm like dad like I've got you and when he's having a seizure because he's got Parkinson MS and epilepsy so he's in a full wheelchair, needs full 24-7 care. Yeah. And seeing someone that made you in a wheelchair having seizures, I literally, bro, just put my hand on his on his shoulder and just wait till that passes. And I don't know, this, it feels really emotional for me because, like, he's done so much for me. And he's gone through so much pain. And now that he's doing the same thing, going to all these domestic violence, sexual assault, child abuse uh, facilities around Bundaberg and sharing his story. And he's been an epic storyteller and it's made me realize when I do have kids, share everything. Like have dinner conversations and share all the fun things but also not the joy things because what I saw that made me realize even my relationship, even five months ago, mate, I was at Xavier Rudd and um, I remember it vividly. I went to Byron Bay, I went to the concert and Steph... um, we talk about labels, but this is part of the human design. <laughs> so let's just let's just do it. Yeah. Uh, I'm a manifesting generator. Steph's an emotional generator. She's not supposed to make decisions when she's heightened or upset. And I knew that. Maybe I was pressing on like, oh, it's just the house and this mortgage and the job. And I just, I think we need to see other people. And then Steph's like, yeah, I, I don't think we can come back from that. So I'll explain more in detail it the coming questions and you know I wasn't a safe man I, I did cheat on her I did some things that I do regret um that I've you know self-actualized and apologized and apologized to myself apologized to Steph but yes yeah, St- Steph was in a went to the car had a full breakdown and I made the choice to go to the concert anyway and have a good dance but every time Xavier Rudd comes on I fucking cry because I wanted Steph there because Xavier Rudd um the song Spirit Bird um, that's our song after that DMT breathwork in uh, Prague. And now it's a different meaning. I'm trying to re-anchor that to another song. <laughs> so when I hear it, I'm like, I could be driving up the mountain. Spirit burn, oh my God, no. <laughs> yeah, I had it too. I had it from the mountain as well. I had it from my initiation when they played it for that. And uh, yeah, powerful song. Yeah. Powerful song. I, I, going back to that question, I'm like, you're talking about like, parents and things i wanted to make sure that i didn't uh embody what mum and dad did so for me i still catch myself and my parents going oh you're having christmas together for the first time oh it's dad's time or it's mum's time and i've kind of realized for the last maybe six months i'm married and also that i get to create a new bloodline with Mm. my family yeah so as much as I love my mum and dad and they did epic things, they shaped me who I am today. And I'm super proud of dad going to the mental health ward, mum changing her life and her career because I was part of that. And now that I've changed career and changed house, I'm doing exactly what they're doing. I'm just making it different. And none of it's the same and all of it's the same. And it's beautiful. Oh, that is the that is the, the tough... Is it a tough conversation? It's a really honest conversation that you can have with your parents at some point where it's just like, I'm not blaming you anymore. 
you know, you, the, the negative qualities that you possess that I also possess is like me blaming you takes my power away. Like I just have to own that I am the way I am and you're not the reason, you're not the whole reason. Like, yes, you're the branch and I'm further, I'm more of the limb, you know, like I'm further out on the tree, but we're all the same tree. So it's just like, and what I'm then going to give to my son, who's now 16, you know, it's just like, whether I'm as enlightened as I am right now or not, it's like, whether, it just feels like no matter what, we mess up. And our kids take on whatever they were going to take on anyway. It's kind of like, I remember my mum saying, oh, I didn't tell you certain things because I wanted to protect you. And I'm like, cool. That made me feel really left out. And so now I have this complex where I need to know everything. Makes me super anxious, right? <laughs> and she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, don't you see though? Like it's, it's irrelevant. If you would have told me everything, I now might be avoidant and I don't want to know things. So it's just like either way, I'm going to make it mean whatever it is. So this, you know, you coming to that place of like, I just love you both. It's like, ah, now we can do the healing. Now we can do our own work where it's like, oh, now I'm 100% responsible for who I am and how I show up. So I don't have to limit myself from the past. It's like, what am I creating and it's okay, like I don't have to shame myself for the values I have that are different to my family's. And it's the reason why Christmas is such an awkward time is like my values are so different to my family's. You know, this is what we've been speaking about in men's work for the last couple of weeks. It's like, how are we bringing the joy to Christmas? How do we want to make as conscious men in our lives that are strong, powerful leaders in our own communities, what are we doing to bring good energy to a family event? It's those sorts of things where it's like, oh, I don't have to sit there and be stroppy because I don't really get along with everyone. It's like, how can I just be curious with everyone? Because everyone's got something to offer and we're all just doing what we do with what we know, you know? And just because, you know, say you and I have done a lot of deep emotional work, not everyone has. Some people are still in level four, just ticking the box, you know, like. They're just doing the basic stuff and thinking that, you know, life's good. I've I've got a job and I've got a car and, you know, I've got some savings and I go overseas once a year and I've made it, you know. And if that's your value, then great, you know. But living a life t- close to your values, I think, is imperative as a man. And it's like, what are those? What Where are you going? What's next then? And if now you have ultimate freedom about, you know how you choose to live your life, what are you wanting to create next? Mm. What's the Brody doing? Mm. I love that. And I just want to touch on as well, like I love when I first followed you on Facebook and just your archetypes and just all the things, what really spoke to me and I hear it and I'm just like, that's what he said, curious and archetypes. It's just like those two things you keep bringing up. It's just like, it's what attracted me to like connect with you more. So I just, wanted to mention that before I forget in my brain. So I just want to honor you and just how you, with your language, you just want to be curious. So that's really cool. Yeah. Curiously engaged. Yeah. Is the, is the, well, that was my NLP training was landmark. I did landmark years ago. So I did it in 2005, no 2006 when I found out I was going to be a dad at 21. 
So I was like, geez, what am I going to do? I've never changed a nappy. I know nothing. And then one of the courses that we did was just like, how can you be curiously engaged? And I'm just a learner, deep learner anyway. So I'm always curious about why is that? If you're like that, why are you like that? Do you even know? Or am I going to figure it out and help you figure it out? And then with my study, it's the somatic psychotherapy. It's like, how can you be in loving presence with another so find something that you love about that person and hold that energy with them while you both engage with each other. Beautiful. And so for that, it's the same thing. It's like the curiosity is there. It's actually how you create enchantment with your partner. It's like, how can you just... And I find that curiosity is more masculine and it's like, how can you see the... Uh, what's the better word? Fascination. How can you be fascinated by your woman? Because curious is like trying to figure it out. Whereas fascination is just the fantasy of them, the the, the allure, the bliss of them. Mm. So maybe there's a little little piece in that. Beautiful. Yeah, thanks, brother. Yeah, I've realized that recently that people know me for archetypes. And it's like, it's so, such an interesting thing to think about. It's just like, okay, all right, I'm in, I'm on, I'm doing it. Okay. You're still Lindsay. Like, yeah. you're still Lindsay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love, that's when I, yeah first thought of seeing all the archetypes because i was so fixated on um gotta be the king gotta be the warrior gotta be the magician and then in the pit training i 16 men voted the lover and i'm like oh cool that's right i'm a loved up you know motherfucker and then brooks looked at me and said no that's not a good thing you've got to be leveled in all areas i'm like ah so i he saw that as addiction and then I'm like, oh, okay, phone addiction, sex addiction. Mm -hmm. Keep banging my nose on this microphone. I love it. <laughs> um, German nose. Thanks, mum. Yeah. Um, I know when food's ready, though. Yeah, bro. Absolutely, man. I was 120 kilos when I was 14. I know all about food, man. Covered in stretch marks. <laughs> man, I love to eat. Um, yeah, but that that yeah. that addicted lover, that's the... That's the I guess the inflated lover archetype is like the more I want more, more food, more this, more pleasure, more everything. And then it can cause, you know, obviously the suffering, suffering in ourselves and suffering in others, mm. you know, and like, how do we work through that? Like addictions are interesting one. I'm sure you've done a lot of work around just the, the understanding around it. You know, I think that's why a lot of people end up, in maybe a not a good place is they let their their needs wants and desires to just overrun their lives have you sort of combated that for yourself what's your understanding around addiction for me yeah that was interesting and the addiction of like self-development for me it was like i'll do tony robbins and then i'll do prac and then i'll do master prac and then i'll do another event and then another event and what I know now is like the questions are the answers and we've already got it within ourselves. And for me, I did not, I still don't know what I really want to do in my coaching business. I know it's men's work, but I know we chatted before and it blew my mind. I didn't know the facts that, you know, 20% is men's work, 80% is a lot of feminine stuff. And I've been quoted hands on hands, very feminine person, but I can be the polarity of both. It's just energy. And that's the fixation of, Someone told me feminine, so I was addicted to like be a masculine. I was addicted to Instagram. Um, I got told by my mentor in Juice Plus, like, show up every day, post every day, be a 2.0 version of yourself. And I was like, okay, I will. Then I got into 40K debt and I'm like, fuck, what am I doing? 
how do I embody this? And then, you know, I literally posted, bro, from illness to wellness. So when I was in mental health ward, I was literally having my phone and taking a photo of me in a gown. I knew that that was an unwell thing to do. I needed to be there for myself. When I was in the mental health ward in Brisbane, I was mentoring people. And I'm like, the fuck am I doing? Like, am I? And then I saw people bashing each other up, bashing the nurses, overdosing, taking drugs in the shower. And I'm like, I want to go home. Like, I actually don't think I need to be here. Like, fourth day and I was like, I'm journaling. I know what I did. I know the reason why I self-harmed. So the addiction for me was uh, just what's present for me, brother, is yeah, self-development, which is great also. And I found I'm working on that of just the actual embodiment piece and mm. trusting myself and not saying yes straight away, like actually figuring out, is this for me? And asking around if people have done this work or been with that facilitator. And phone's a big one. Instagram, I, I've been wary of this year of checking my how many hours I've been on my phone. And yeah, I think it, it, last year, it's in, I don't know if you know this, or it's present in your life with men's work, but a lot of people share about pornography or porn addiction. And for me, this is my beliefs and my values on it right now. might change next week is I don't think masturbation is a bad thing. I think men shame themselves of masturbation. I think for me, I looked at porn and I'm like, fuck, I need a bigger dick. Fuck, I need to have better sex positions with my woman. But it's like, I can understand now with the schematic, like, things people have told me in the mkp it's like when you feel like you need to masturbate or have sex like use that energy as your life force um way to superior man you know embodying that book that was cool and for me it was so much shame and guilt right and i, and I I'm, I'm so proud that i sat in your circle with the gathering men process and you saw a lot of me um all of me sharing from my my heart and it's realizing that I'm okay with accepting that was the past yeah. and it's still part of me. So uh, personal development, porn addiction, and also I got into a bit of debt. So when I was working as a support worker, I think I was on $40 an hour in Bundaberg, thinking I made it. God, I laugh at that now. <laughs> yeah, it's all the growth and process though, right? Like mm. to come back to that though, I think just being... Oh, for me, I don't use pornography. It was something that it was something that was happened later in life where it was like on a screen. For me, it was in booklets or you know penthouse trying to steal it, like putting it in the newspaper and buying the newspaper for eighty cents and having the penthouse stashed into the actual newspaper itself. Um, <clears throat> whatever it was to try and get you know, that sort of material as a kid out of curiosity because it's hard to access, especially in a small town. It's not like there's thousands of kids bringing it to school or whatever. But it was like imagination and self-pleasure. And, you know, I think, you know, the talk or discussion that I try and bring awareness to for men's work is the difference between self-pleasure, masturbation, but also that watching porn and masturbating are two different things. So for some men, it's like they might not self-pleasure or masturbate without porn. And that's when I feel like it becomes the addiction. It's like I always encourage men. It's like, when was the last time you self-pleasured without your cock? So it's like, you know, if... 
if anyone's been in a situation where they've been with their their partner or a woman and noticing the actions that are taken around you know women and what they do it's like men's version just because to me it's like our energy our body is a antenna a whole body is an an, an an antenna but our cock is super sensitive for pleasure you know it's very isolated it's like if you understand the anatomy of a clitoris it's massive it's not just that little pea that you can never find it's actually it has like fingers running off it there's like four of them and to me it's like i don't know how exact this is but i dare say that the entire clitoris when you're born when you're developing as a as a male or a female as a male basically the whole thing is the cock you know so like as far as pleasure and ease of pleasure we got it made. We got it good. It's right there. It's on the outside and you just like touch any of that thing and it's going to be pretty good. You can't go too wrong. Whereas with a woman, it's full Rubik's Cube every time. Every time is different. It's a very emotional. It's very different. It's not as easy to see. It's not as easy to find. It's not as easy to understand. It's not as straightforward. It's, um, it's dissipated as far as the intensity of pleasure. A woman, from what I can understand, the peak experience of orgasm for men is actually more intense than a woman's but a woman's ability to experience pleasure for a more sustained time or more fullness throughout her entire body is is bigger and greater than a man's so i'm curious to know if anyone's listening to this and wants to know more or knows more and wants to roast me please i'd love to learn more i'd love to have you on the show and ask way more questions but i've read a lot read a lot of books by Wednesday Martin, um, Vagina Books, Untrue, just anything around females, anatomy, sex, pleasure, whatever it is. Because it's like, I'm a student of the game, motherfucker. I want to know. Like, I want to be a great lover. And I think so often it's like, I think for a lot of men, it's, oh, well, masturbation is shameful as well. And I need to hide it, you know, and knowing that you're speaking about religion and it's like, oh, well, maybe religion creates it to be I shouldn't or it's taboo or all these things. So it's like I can understand that anything that we try and hide, hide, deny and repress, it comes out as the opposite or as in shadow. So it's like us even talking about this, like this is the first time we sit down and chat and now we're talking about self-pleasure practice, right? And so to me it's like nothing is off the table because the more that we can speak to this, the more we normalize it, that men can go, fuck, I've actually never self-pleasured without my cock. I don't even know what that is. I wouldn't even know what that means. Like, what does he actually mean? You know? So it's like, oh, how can you bring more pleasure to your entire body? So how can you do that when you're making love with your partner or whatever it is? It's like, there's a lie that we've been given as well about guys should have hard cocks when we're having sex. It's like, no one knows about soft penetration. So the very thing that we're so afraid of having, which is erectile dysfunction, is actually the thing that can bring the most amount of pleasure to your woman. It's like, you know, and we believe the lie. That we believe the lie that we should be a certain way. We should have a fucking 20-inch cock. Who knows, you know? And then all these things and know these repertoires and just be like a, you know... The jackhammer for hours. It's like, 
have we even asked women what they actually enjoy? Because I don't think it's that at all, you know, if we really went into it. On a tangent right now, I totally get this, but it's a part for me where I'm like, men's work and talking about sex. We even had this discussion last night in my men's group. So I run my in-persons every Monday night. And yeah, this discussion came up around self-pleasure, pleasure, pleasure with our partner, intimacy, all that sort of stuff. And I feel like even with a group that's been sitting together for two years, we're still even not that timid about it, but it's it's a discussion worth having because I tell you now, money, sex, relationship, career, those sorts of things, they're important to men. We want to know. And for most men, we want to think that we're the best lover that our partner's had, but we also barely learn anything about it. And if we're going to porn to learn, we're learning in the wrong place. That's like trying to find relationship at an RSL, you know, or trying to look for good food in McDonald's. It's like it's you're not going to the right place. You need to go somewhere better. So it's like this is the – if if we're hitting on something new here that we haven't spoken a lot about on this podcast, it's because this is the direction I'm going in more. But also, I think it's fucking important, you know, for men as well. Like, we are pleasure-seeking creatures and we deserve it, but we need to know how to utilize it and, and use it for good for ourselves so we can learn to love ourselves more and be kind to ourselves and be gentler with ourselves, you know. And, and by the exp- exploration of ourselves, we get to know ourselves more deeply in all aspects, not just in our psyches, but in our pleasure. Like Brooke telling me about the four minds, the head, the heart, the gut, and the sex. It's like, if we do explorations into the mind, why not into our heart, you know, into our emotional body? Why not into our gut, around our gut health, and like really looking after ourselves? And why not around our sex, which, you know, honestly has a lot to do with pleasure, but it also has a lot to do with guilt and shame in our society. So it's like, cool we've got some avenues here of healing you know and what are we doing about it so yeah i appreciate that man i appreciate the talk around you know intimacy and sex and those sorts of things and so what now with all this work that you're doing and overcoming addiction what has that then led you to what are you now doing helping men uh become the best version of themselves so everything that i've went through i get to embody and teach them which is so cool yeah so cool and for me now you know being in the caring industry for seven years and getting out and working now in sales and my my favorite thing lately has been you don't get what you want but you get what you need oh ouch (laughs) yeah so true and I'm like, what the fuck am I doing in sales? Like, I hate sales. And then I'm like, okay, where is this hate coming from? Okay, cool. I was in like marketing. I didn't make it with my quotes on quotes. And it also impacted me. So every bit of my life of a shared set today has made me in the man that I am today. And I'm so grateful for it. It's not just like, I'm so grateful, you know, but it's like, I'm so grateful because of, I get to sit in men's work. And when someone's like, even a few years back when I was in a mental health recovery hospital as a lived experience mentor, <coughs> this this lady and this man was like, you have no fucking idea what it's like to take your life. And I'm like, actually I do. And I'm like, oh, all these people, a piece of paper. 
and they just want paperwork and documentation. I'm like, I've read your documentation. Now, who are you? And they just cried because no one's actually asked, who are you? You know, you're not the archetype man. You're not the, the guy that does X, Y, Z. You're more than that. It's just, and this is what for me is people have seen me as a wellness guy and they see me with the car sticker. You know, they're like, oh, you know, is he vegan? Is he, is he healthy? Like, I've, it's funny how a name makes people go berserk. They're like, you're not the wellness guy. You know, you haven't made it. You're not a full-time coach. Like, I've had this, the reason why I'm sharing this is I've actually had people, people that I know, people that I don't know, uh, project or put their beliefs and values on to, to my life about a title. But they haven't actually seen what I do. They're, and what I know now is the guilt and shame. And when I was like, oh, not another men's work event. Or when I just dropped that and just went in to surrender and get the love, that's where the most growth is. So for me, brother, with all the learnings, I've created a fortnightly men's circle. One starts tomorrow, every fortnight, which I'm really excited about on Zoom. Um and just, I want to keep doing that religiously. There's no other things that I'm offering. And I mean this when I say this, my inbox is always open. I've had numerous people all over the globe. Because my Instagram's quite big now. Um, nearly at three and a half thousand followers, which is all organic. All those bots saying, come on, get to 10K, I'll pay $29. So, yep, shout outs to those people in my inbox. Still in the request. I'll not open you. <laughs> but yeah, bro, I, I just... I want to connect and I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for Jacob O'Neill. I'm so grateful for the other men that still do, does this work and even your share, man. You just wanted to surrender and help and then even I remember we sitting in a circle doing that process. You put your hand up and shared your wisdom. So it's just nice to be around healthy, integrated men and going, I want to learn. I don't know this. Let me find out. Mm. So I'm excited. I'm excited to learn sales. I'm, I'm excited to... Uh, be around like-minded entrepreneurs because that's what I've been doing the last three years and just be consistent. So every fortnight I'll show up regardless of one or two or nobody turns up, I'm going to show up first because for me, I know this has been a pattern of mine of like starting something and then going, oh, fuck, it's too hard or mm. I'll go to the next thing and the next thing and I've realized there's, not, there's been a lack of self-worth and self-belief because let's face it, everyone's selling six-week breakthroughs I see on Instagram. Everyone's a mindset coach or a transformational coach. And that's good. And I love people doing great work. And I also know that when I was unwell, I just wanted a course. And just reflecting on the money that I spent, if I knew and trusted my body and my gut, we talk about all those, mm. I would have never have done those courses. Yeah, right. In hindsight, what do you feel like would have been the thing to do now? What would be the way through, do you feel? For me, it would be nature. Nature of like stillness. Like I've always had three jobs from 14 to now. Always, doesn't matter how much money I got paid. I was always going for the next job, the next job. And then I realized I wasn't present at home and I had things at home and Steph was like, I want you home. Like it's all good having money in the bank account, but I don't see you. Mm. I don't want that life. And that's for me, Steph's like a cool, you're doing this more development. And we've got a joint bank account. We're very open. And it's like, it's time to actually come together. So for us, we're doing the courses together. But if I, what I knew now, I would have done 
more breath work. I would have done more free events, more free circles, uh, low ticket top cost when I was at that capacity financially. So I guess if anyone's out there wanting to start work, like be really curious, like you said, and I think that's a word I'm definitely going to more embody is to be curious of why you do things. Mm. And if you heal things within yourself, your dad, your mum, I think the things that you're looking for in a course, it will probably clear up in yourself if you surrender, self-pleasure, journal, actually sit and just be instead of just going, getting that next dopamine. And I'm speaking from my lived experience. Yeah, for sure. It's it's definitely something that I think it's a hard one to sort of <laughs> try and curb for people before they do it. It's like, no, I really want to go and do that thing. Like it's it's out there, that thing that I need to fix inside of me. And I think coming from a place where I learned it um, from my mate and mentor, Kaibor, that started the Samurai Brotherhood on the Gold Coast, it was self-improvement versus self-acceptance. And I think for so many of us, when we get in this this uh, industry of, of improvement, it's the realization that it's like, we actually do have everything that we need. It's if we can listen to our own internal wisdom, you know, like, yes, we can learn. We need good mentors. We need... We need people that have come before us to do these things, to have elder men or elder women or people that are skilled in certain areas. But also it's like most of the things that we need and want and desire already live inside of us. If we're just patient enough and still and and can tune in enough and be present enough to it. And yeah, like knowing, knowing that we... <laughs> I too have gone to many courses and done lots of training and especially when I was a uh, Olympic lifting coach and an S&C coach, it was like, oh, the more I have behind me, the the more legitimate I am. And, you know, I've seen, I've seen that change over the years as far as like some people are just like the real embodiment of something. They just, they live it, you know. I I see certain aspects of certain people and I'm just like, I don't care what qualifications they have. I just, I can feel that they've done that work. They know it. They know it inside and out. They're living and breathing it. And like that to me is important, you know, whereas maybe earlier in my life it was being like, what's their qualifications, you know? And I, I just, I feel that sometimes, especially people that live in their head want the qualifications so they know they're not being robbed, you know? But I also see that as far as people just charging exuberant amounts of money for things where it's like yeah my programs you know a hundred million thousand dollars or whatever it is and it's just like why is it that much like why is you know why is a psychologist this much and you're paying i'm getting charged you know 10 times more than that person that studied for 10 years then you did something for a couple of weekends and now you want to charge 10 times more it's like I get that there's the audacity and the desire to, but what about just like being a beginner, learning your stripes, you know, doing the regular thing like you're saying now. It's like me too, brother. Like being consistent, that was probably one of the most painful things to do starting out with anything is just like I'm just going to have to start and just grind it and see what happens, you know. For me, it's been two years of running my groove and I fucking love it and the men love it you know we're only having this chat last night it's like 
doing the work week in and week out. This is coming up to March will be five years of sitting in circle, you know, on a pretty regular basis, nearly every week for five years. And to me, that's, that's consistency, that's work, that's showing up, like very different to a one-day workshop or whatever it is. So, you know, you providing a space for men to, to be in that on a fortnightly basis, fuck yes, you know, more of that. And, you know, people are going to resonate with your story and who you are. And I totally get I'm not everyone's cup of tea, you know, and that's also a good thing, you know. It's just like whatever it is that has people drawn in, it's like love on them. Love on them hard and give them the support that they need and know that any man that steps into a, in inside of a men's group or a circle is like it's fucking vulnerable super vulnerable i um i'm feeling my emotion coming up because i had a conversation with my son yesterday about it and he's he's 16 and he's like he could really benefit but there's the the expectation of what it would mean for him to show up and it's like oh i have an expectation that i have to be a certain way so not the, so not the case you know like i see that for all the men that show up to men's group to men's circle and it's <sighs> takes heart takes a lot of fucking heart to show up so just honoring you in that honoring you and for stepping up and and leading that for yourself and for the men that are going to join and how do men find out about it Thank you, brother. Just yeah. want to say I see you and just, yeah, just honoring you for doing the work. Mm. And, uh, yeah, just, yeah, it's full of love right now. I'm just feeling this. So, so for people to find me, it's uh, on Humanitics. So on my Instagram, um, on my link tree. I don't think it's actually on my link tree right now. I should probably put that on. <laughs> link tree is always the thing that we forget when it's we like, update stuff. We're like, oh, link in bio, link. it's not there. Yeah. It's like, fuck it, Brody. Consistent. <laughs> Like, yes, I am. Uh, yeah, so just, yeah, message me. The Humanitics is on. So first three sessions on tomorrow, six to nine. It'll probably be two-hour event next fortnight. And, uh, yeah, just all is welcome. It's just going to talk about, yeah, what we talked about before, money, relationships, uh, just the expectation of sex. And I know hand on heart, like, for the last six, eight months, I've been so focused on pleasure in Steph. But, like, when you said self-pleasure without cock, I'm like, I've just learned that and I've spoken to some friends and look, I love my friends. Some of my friends will never talk about men's work to me and that's okay. Their time will come. If not, that's okay as well. Yeah. And even some of my friends like, don't invite him. Like he'll fucking get spiritual on you. He'll, he'll, he'll fucking, you know, I'm like, okay, I didn't want you. We just laugh about it now. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful place and my goal is to co-collaborate what I'm doing now with you, brother, and having you on my channel and just connecting with men because men, for me, I didn't know what a safe man was. I didn't know what healthy competition is. I didn't know how to even protect and actually find myself. There's actually a part of me that could go out and hunt and kill. And now that I continue to do this work, it's just like I want to give that primal power to other men. So to wait six to eight weeks is not good enough to see a psychologist psychiatrist i'm not here to medicate you i'm not here to tell you 
that your problems, we need to focus on this. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to hold you in your highest fucking potential. And you don't have to come every week. Or, sorry, every fortnight. You can come whenever you desire. And it's for people that are in Canada, UK, US. And it's going to go, go global and I'm going to need a lot of help. So if anyone's that's a men's work facilitator, they love what I do, you know, I'm more than happy to, to have the support. So for me, my goal is to do it that well. I don't need to be there. Like, that's my intention. Like, as much as I love to be there, I want to create more men's work facilitators so they can step in and, and run groups. And it's just a global thing. Because what you said perfectly, brother, you had someone in talking about the same thing that you offer. And you're like, good, come in. And Hell that's, yeah. I can feel your heart. I've felt your heart, seen your stories. I definitely feel your heart, seeing you face-to-face, hearing your heartbeat. So, um, yeah, and this is why I love this work and this is why I get to share this and i'm just honored and grateful to sit beside you and just share because this is like i've as i said you said this straight away the first 90 minutes will probably i know you better after doing like five events with you and hasn't that hit yeah man 100 percent. so just appreciating you brother appreciating that the work that you've done and your vulnerability and the way that you share and hold yourself and just again a big shout out to jacob o'neill for hosting a gathering of men and really looking forward to 2023's version of that and and seeing what happens at that event and you know whatever other events are coming up this year that you know i hope that we get to share and 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 see each other out and see the growth and just know that for anyone listening that the the support is there like the curiosity to lean in and to reach out and to to connect you know um brody said it before with his inbox always being open and i think you know that that invitation is there and i would highly recommend you know giving him a buzz so again thank you so much for being on the show thank you for the listeners thank you to everyone appreciate you appreciate you listening to my sobs and tears um it's dear to my heart this work and i appreciate you all so we'll see you all again next time thank you thank you brother